everyone. Welcome back to Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm Grace Atwood. And I'm Becca Freeman. And today is book club day. We read Delicious by Ruth Reichel. Yes, we did. I thought you were going to say more and then just nothing came. Oh. <laughs> and um, yeah, we read this book and we're going to talk about it today. Um, wow. I'm really good at this. But I really enjoyed this book. I know Becca did too. We both love Ruth Reichel's memoirs, so it was really fun to see her write a fiction book. I have to confess that I've only read a third of Save Me the Plums. I enjoyed what? the third that I read. You know that I have I have commitment issues with nonfiction. I also oh, read yeah. a third of Becoming by Michelle Obama, and it's not because I didn't like it. I just I put them both down and never picked them up again. And then Save Me the Plums lived on my coffee uh, on my bedside table for years for at least a year and then I kind of gave up the ghost that I wasn't actually going to read it oh my gosh that's funny well I loved both of those memoirs so um listener if you're listening to this and you haven't read Becoming or Save Me the Plums pick those up so this was perfect for me because it was my way to consume Ruth Reichel's food world in a fiction format yeah yeah anyway before we get into the book should we talk about us Yes. I haven't talked – well, I did talk to you on Monday night, but I I feel like I have talked to you less than usual because we were – I was traveling. Yes. So we caught up a little bit offline on Monday, but what's your high this week? My high is that I took a trip to Maine and I got out of my four walls, which felt amazing. A friend of mine has a house up there, so I just went and stayed with her and we didn't really do much. Like I worked from there on Thursday and Friday, kind of. We went to a couple breweries on Saturday and we went down to Portland on Sunday. But overall, the theme was just kind of like hanging out. But it just felt so good to, first of all, this is one of my best friends and I haven't seen her since 2019 because of the pandemic. But then also, it was just nice to be somewhere else. I feel like before COVID, you know, especially in 2019 when we were touring for the podcast, I was traveling so much. Like I was traveling more than I've ever traveled in my life. And then 2020, I literally did not leave my house. Yeah. So it felt really good. If I felt like myself to be somewhere that isn't home. Yeah. But it was nice nice that it was Maine because I could still wear sweatpants because I'm not fully ready for the real world. Yeah. What about you? What's your high? Mine is just apartment stuff. I'm starting to feel a lot more at home. Earlier this week, I had a handyman come and he hung my TV up. So I have TV. Um, I we, we hung the gallery wall above my couch. The gallery um, wall looks amazing. I love it so much. And it has me even more excited because I have a new couch coming. And now I just like want the couch because then that area will be perfect. You also um, need a rug there, right? Oh, yeah. The rug. So I have a rug, a couch, a chair, that whole air, some pillows, like everything is getting a makeover. The gallery wall was the first step, though. Well, this isn't a high. It's kind of a, I don't know, it's a neutral. It's a, it's a nothing. But um, while I was in Maine, my friend Molly has an amazing couch, and I loved it so much. I came back. I had very manic energy on Monday, and I rearranged my whole living room and then ordered the same couch so that I could have it too because I liked it so much. I love that. And – I'm now in your boat because it is coming in early August, and it was such a shot to the heart to oh my God. be excited about it and then be told it was August. Luckily, I have a couch, yeah. so it's not like I'm in dire straits, but you know, I want the new one. 
Yeah, I know. I'm waiting. Like, I have so many things on order. Like, my bookshelves, my guest room, which you're looking at right now, Becca. Um, oh, this is my room that you're in? Yeah. It has just books piled up everywhere because my new bookshelves haven't arrived. So I, there's just, like, so many things I'm waiting for, and I'm getting so excited. But it's just, like, I think by, like, July, <laughs> everything will be done. But um, it's just taking a, a long time. Honestly, that's not too bad. That's three months. I feel like it took me – I moved in in May, and I feel like my apartment wasn't fully decorated until like August or September. Yeah, when I, I think moved that's in normal. here. So I think that, you know, obviously with COVID, there's shipping delays on some production and furniture, but I don't think that it sounds so wild that your apartment won't be done till July. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to be breezy about it. And in the meantime, I'm hoping once I'm fully vaccinated and have waited two weeks to not be well I want to be here but I want to travel do you identify as a breezy person no I would never describe you as breezy (laughs) I'm not breezy at all maybe Charleston says yeah I think I'm a little more breezy here it's just so warm and like everything is just a slower pace so I'm adapting to the slower pace but I'm still not breezy (laughs) maybe next year maybe next year what what's your low oh I just um I just have really bad cramps oh, today. I got my period and like it's like it's just like I feel like my cycle is like a little all over the place because I've been really stressed out and with moving and just all the things. Uh, I don't know what like it came early and it's like bad cramps. I think my cramps have gotten slightly better since I've gotten into my 30s. And then that makes me nervous where not that I want to have children. So I guess it doesn't matter that much. But I'm like, does that mean I'm getting towards perimenopause? Oh, yeah. Anyway. I don't know. There's that. Yeah, there's that. We're getting old. (laughs) Seriously. Don't worry. I'll always be older than you. So (laughs) there's that. That's why I keep you around. (laughs) Just to have an older friend. Yeah, totally. Totally. (laughs) Makes sense. Yeah. What's your low? It's kind of the continuation slash like a side road off of my low from last week, which was just like I had – a couple months of really intense work and focus. And it's not even like I'm totally done, but I've just last week my my lowest that I was having trouble focusing. This week is like I'm having a really hard time seeing the forest through the trees. Like I I feel like I just keep getting derailed by little things. Yeah. Where either I feel like I can't sit down and do big things until I've checked all the little things off my list or or like I'm procrastinating on the big things. So I just like do all these little stupid things. So mm-hmm. I just feel like I don't have my like productivity and motivation in ship shape right now. Yeah. So I'm hoping – so I had my big deadline last Monday and then I went to Maine that same week and I was there over the weekend. And then um, this weekend I, I'm going to be here because I have, you know, one trip at a time. I have nowhere to go. Um, so I'm hoping having a weekend at home and I don't think I've t- truly taken – a full weekend day to myself in a couple months. So I don't think I'm going to get both days, but I would really like to on Sunday just sit and read a book and cook something and like have a true Sunday. So I'm hoping that puts me back in working order. That sounds nice. Not to say that I'm not in working order. I just feel this is maybe the first time in my life that I've been able to identify this, but I'm like, I'm cruising for burnout. Yeah. So I would like to avoid that. Yeah. No need. No need. 
that's what I have going on. Shall we talk about the book? Yeah, but wait, I have a question for you. Oh, okay. And I figured I'd ask it on the podcast because I'm curious. Hot seat. How is your nap dress situation working? Oh, so I I got my nap dress. I got the green one. Somebody – I can't remember if I said this on the podcast. Somebody who listened – I'm so jealous you got the green one. A couple people who listened were DMing me whenever it was restocked, and I finally snagged one. And I got it in a large, which frankly is a little too big. I could have done the medium. Um, yeah. But I, I'm still going to keep it. Like, I'm not going to get rid of it. I've only worn it once because it has not been the warmest in New York yet. But I wore it to brunch a few weekends ago with a leather jacket over it. And I really liked it. Like, I think I'm going to get a ton of wear out of it over the summer. Yeah, it's a great dress. I can't wait to wear mine. Listeners, if anyone sees the green one in a small, just please let me know because I want that. (laughs) If it worked for you, maybe it'll work for me. I feel like it's like a good in-between. Like I was saying before that I'm not totally ready to be out of my sweats, but this is like an easy, comfy thing to throw on that isn't sweats but looks a little more polished. Yes. I really want the green one or the navy one. I have the light blue one and the gold one. The gold one's like kind of fancy and the light blue one's kind of fancy too because it has silver. But the green one is the one that I really want or the navy Swiss dot. I restarted my Rent the Runway subscription um, Me too. the other week and I ordered – I don't know where I thought I was going, but I just ordered randomly a bunch of stuff. I just picked stuff. and it Wait, dressed- how many things did you get with yours? Four. Four at a time. So – that's what I usually would do, but it kept having me add things, and it says it's sending me like nine things. Oh, wow. No, mine is just the same one that I had, the four-piece subscription. But anyway, I ordered just a bunch of random stuff just based on things I liked, and I got a dress with a zipper, and I was like, wow, I haven't worn anything with a zipper in. Really? A year. I don't think so. Oh, funny. I've I mean, I wear, dress I've up wear anyway. jeans, but I don't think I've worn any kind of dress that isn't just a throw-on, over-your-head type yeah. situation in in a good long time. That's so funny. Well, that's why the nap dress is great because it's kind of like putting on pajamas. It didn't fit, so that's another good reason to have Rent the, the Runway The dress right with now. the zipper? Yeah. Yeah, Rent the Runway helps with that. I feel like I ordered from brands. I'm like, I don't know if this is going to fit. We'll just see. Well, also, I'm I'm I haven't really – my closet is just an area of my house I haven't gone in the past year. So I feel like a lot of things that I own might not fit right now. And so having Rent the Runway just kind of like makes that yeah easier. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, on to the book. Yeah. I just needed to check in on the nap dress situation because it was bothering me earlier. I was like, I got to ask her. and I should ask her on the podcast because yeah. I bet people want to know. I'm pro. I don't think that I'm going to need to order another one. Not because I dislike it at all, but yeah, I'm into it. You know who has like 10 is Carly. She yeah. posted to Instagram like – and they look so cute on her, but um, it made me laugh. Yeah. I don't think it's going to become like the cornerstone of my style, but like I'm into it, the one I have. Yeah. I want the one you have. I'm mad that it's – that I haven't been able to get it. Our listeners will come through for you. Yeah. Help help a girl out. <laughs> help a girl out. Okay. Should we get into the book? Yes, we should. So as always, we'll do the plot summary. There are full spoilers and then we'll talk about it. Yeah. So the book opens with 10-year-old Billy helping her aunt and her sister to make a cake for her dad's birthday. Her mom used to make it for him, but she never shared the recipe before she died. So Billy is able to reconstruct the recipe by memory, 
demonstrating a remarkable palette. So then we fast forward. Billy has dropped out of college. She's moved to New York City, and she's just gotten a job as the assistant to Jake Newbery, who is the editor-in-chief of Delicious. And Delicious is the top food magazine in the United States. So Billy's immediately sucked into a whole new world meeting famous chefs, shop owners, and food suppliers. And at first, Billy's an outsider, but she begins to bond with the magazine staff. Most of all, Sammy, the magazine's 60-something-year-old travel writer who takes her under his wing. Through her position at the magazine, she also meets Sal, who's the owner of Fontenari's Cheese Shop in Little Italy, and she takes a weekend job there. Over time, Sal and his wife Rosalie become like family to Billy. And one of the regular weekend customers is an attractive man they call Mr. Complainer. And Sal's wife is constantly trying to matchmake Billy with Mr. Complainer. So at Delicious, one of Billy's job duties is fulfilling the Delicious Guarantee, which is a promise that customers will get their money back if a recipe does not work. And one of the most avid users of this guarantee is Mrs. Cloverly from Cleveland. And she is a persnickety cook who's constantly making wild substitutions to the recipes and calling to ask for her money back. It's a shock to the whole staff when the publishing company decides to shut down the magazine. However, Billy is kept on during the transition to continue to honor the delicious guarantee. So now Billy is working all alone in the crumbling mansion that previously housed the magazine's office. And so one day she finds herself in the magazine's library, which had been locked for decades after the last staff librarian left in the 70s. And inside, Billy finds a secret room with thousands of reader letters. And the most interesting letters to her are a handful of letters that were written during World War II from Lulu Swan, a 12-year-old in Akron, Ohio, to James Beard, the famous chef who was once a contributor to the magazine. In her initial letter, she tells Mr. Beard that her mother has just gotten a job at the airplane factory and she's left to do the cooking, but is at a loss due to wartime rationing and asks for his help. While Billy only has Lulu's side of the correspondence, it's clear that Mr. Beard wrote back from her future letters. However, Billy realizes that Lulu's letters are hidden throughout the folders of the letters, concealed by a trail of clues that she has to crack using the library's card catalog system. And one of the key themes of Lulu's letters is the rise of anti-Italian-American sentiment during the war. So after a few months, the publishing house begins to try to sell the mansion that Delicious used as its office, and they send a realtor to appraise the house who brings along an architectural historian, and Billy is shocked when the historian turns out to be Mr. Complainer, whose name is actually Mitch. So Sammy and Billy pretend that the library is locked and that the key is lost to buy themselves more time to find the remaining letters. But in the meantime, Sammy tracks down Bertie, the final delicious librarian, except it turned out that Bertie had passed away in the 70s. So instead, he meets Bertie's best friend, Anne, who is able to shed more light on why the letters are hidden. The magazine's publisher at the time wanted to destroy all of the James Beard letters and disassociate the magazine with him because he was gay. Bertie thought the letters were important and hid them in the library's secret room. So Mitch is spending lots of time at the Timbers mansion, and him and Billy are growing closer. There's obviously something going on between them. And it isn't long before Mitch is able to take off the lock and break into the library. And the night he does, Billy, out of fear, goes back at night to try to rescue the letters before Mitch can find the secret room. But Mitch also comes back that night because he had a feeling that there was something wrong with the library and he thought there might be a secret room. So he finds her in there, and they end up having sex in the secret room together. 
And she's happy that her secret about the letters is safe with him. So after she copies the letters, there's really nothing left for her at Delicia. So she quits the magazine. And her plan is to go to Akron to try to find the adult Lulu Swan. And she thinks that the letters can make an interesting article or even a book if she can get access to James Beard's side of the correspondence. So throughout the book, Billy has been writing emails to her older sister, Jeannie, about her new life in New York. Billy describes Jeannie as beautiful and perfect. It's really clear that she idolizes her and just spent most of her childhood living in Jeannie's shadow. And while they were kids, they started a business called Cake Sisters, creating fantastical wedding cakes that gained national press coverage and a ton of acclaim. At their last wedding, Jeannie was actually hit by a car in a fluke accident. So Billy feels an incredible amount of guilt, thinking that she should have been the one who got hit by the car instead. So her grief around Jeannie's death has led to intense anxiety and panic attacks whenever she tries to cook. So as Billy and Mitch get closer, she tells him the story about her sister, and he picks up on some of the details and assumes that Jeannie had a drug problem. And when he says this to Billy, they get into an epic fight, and she ends up going to Akron without him to find Lulu when he was supposed to originally come. And so after scoping out Lulu's childhood neighborhood, her next stop is a social call to Mrs. Cloverly, the lady from the Delicious Guarantee. And it turns out that Mrs. Cloverly is actually a wealthy widow who had been affecting this character to entertain herself and also to have human contact. And while Billy's at her house, she spots a box from the Cleveland cookshop that says on it, Lulu Tabor Proprietor. The box eventually leads her to find Lulu from the letters. And She is disappointed because their first interaction is quite chilly. After Billy asks after Lulu's father, who is missing during the war, Lulu kicks her out of the house. Lulu is dejected. Billy goes back to her hotel to find that her father has come to help her with the mission. They're able to have an honest conversation about Jeannie, and her father confirms that she had been doing drugs, which completely changes Billy's view on Jeannie's death and also her relationship with her sister while she was alive. So Lulu ends up calling them back to her house, and she confesses that she has a deep secret, that her father was shot down in France during the war, fell in love with a French woman, and had a second family. And so Lulu and Billy are able to bond over their anger, Lulu at her father and Billy at her sister. And Lulu also confesses that she has kept James Beard's letters and donated them to the library. In the epilogue, we see that Billy and Mitch are back together. Lulu has formed a friendship with Sammy. He's still trying to argue her into turning the letters into a book. And Sal has started a bakery offshoot of Fontanari's that Billy is now running. So that is our summary. But let's take a quick ad break to talk about our most delicious sponsor. Do you see what I did there? I do. You're very clever. Thank you very much. It's HelloFresh. So with HelloFresh, you get fresh, pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable, which is why they're America's number one meal kit. So you're probably sick of me talking about how busy I've been lately with my looming deadlines, but I have been awful about finding the time to cook. But HelloFresh has been such a savior because it takes care of the part of cooking that I hate, which is the meal planning and grocery shopping part, so that I only have to do the fun stuff, which for me is cooking and eating. And it works out perfectly that most of their recipes come together in 30 minutes or less because we do not have time for project cooking right now. And I also love that they have 25-plus chef-designed recipes every week. 
So usually my game plan is that I try to get at least one old favorite so that I have something that I know I'm going to love. And then I go for two new-to-me recipes to mix things up. And they have such a broad mix from vegetarian meals to they always have really great burgers. And then they also have their extra special gourmet meals. So there's really something for everyone, whether you're trying to be healthy or whether you're like trying to cook something like fun and a little splurgy at home. So I'll tell you, last week I tried the Szechuan pork and green bean stir fry, and it was so good. It was healthier than takeout. It was super easy, and it was completely different than something I'd usually cook at home. I will also say that I also got burgers, and I made them on Friday night, and they were so darn good. Plus, with the burgers especially, it's so nice that I didn't have leftover toppings or I didn't have to buy the package of eight buns and then end up with like six extra ones because they only gave me exactly what I need to cook the meal. That's one of the hardest parts about cooking if you're just one person living alone. So I'm a huge HelloFresh fan. If you're sick of your recipe repertoire, if you need some help in the kitchen um, and want to cook more at home, go to HelloFresh.com slash BOP12 and use code BOP12 for 12 free meals, including free shipping. So I'll say it again for you. Go to HelloFresh.com slash BOP12 and use code BOP12 for 12 free meals, including free shipping. So Grace, back to the book. Back to the book. Grace, so I had a really hard time writing both the plot summary and our discussion because so much happens in this book. There are so many plot lines, some of which I didn't even get to in the outline. There's like a storyline about the Underground Railroad. There's a storyline about Sammy's depression and his struggle to find work. There's this like betrayal story with um, with Sal and Billy about writing a letter, uh, writing an article about him. Like there are so much going on in this book plot plot wise. So much. I felt like I kind of I said this to you earlier and I know maybe people will disagree with me. I think I would have preferred and I know why they did it, but I would have preferred to just read a book that was only while she was at Delicious and maybe take out like a few of the other plot lines. There was just so much. Well, I feel like this book would be a great TV series because there's like oh, all yeah. these things that you could focus on versus just one single book. So I actually enjoyed – I mean, the two main plot lines, you have like the plot line about the magazine and then you have the James Beard and Lulu Swan World War II historical fiction plot line. And the magazine plot line is obviously more up my alley. I'm not generally a, a big historical fiction reader. I'll read a couple a year, but it's not my my main genre. I was saying to you when you told me this earlier that I just – I don't think that one could have worked without the other. I, I don't think it would have worked because I know that you wanted to read a book just about the magazine story, but I don't think there would be enough conflict. I yeah, guess you I think they should have it. added some conflict at the magazine I guess something. you could have, but th- the beginning of the book is her proving herself and she proved herself by like 20% into the book. So otherwise it would have just been her succeeding – like there was no well, tension. Well, maybe she would have had, gotten into a bigger fight with Sal after she wrote wanted to write the article. Maybe something there happens. Maybe the relationship between her and Mitch is more dramatic. I don't know. I don't know. It just didn't feel like there was enough there at the magazine. I get why they introduced the World War II plotline, which was really meaty and had more to carry you through a, a whole book. I will say the yes. book was also pretty long because I so I did audio for my second go around because I read this book back in 
March, I think. And then I reread it just this week to prep for this. And the audiobook was 12 hours and 30 minutes, which is like a pretty long audiobook. I think that the writing must just be really small because it's not a thick book. No, it's not. It's not. If you just grab it off the shelf, it looks like pretty small. I guess absent this book, though, how do you feel about books that are really plot heavy versus books that are really character deep, you know? And I, I was thinking about this because I'll tell you in our book section, I'm reading – I'm also reading Malibu Rising right now by Taylor how Jenkins it? Reid. It's good so far. But that book tells the entire book, the story is set over a single day. So it's very different than this because this book spans – it spans a couple years at least and – has so many different plot lines. Yeah. That also come and are resolved throughout the book. Like the the Sal plot line about the magazine story was like a plot line that like came and like came to a head and then resolved. It wasn't even like the main story arc, you know? Mm-hmm. How do you feel about plot versus character books? I feel like I don't like it when there's too much going, so much going on plot wise that like you're just like, wait, and then this happened and then this happened and this happened. Like, I felt like this book was a little too plot heavy for me. You know, I, I think I prefer books that are plotty. Um, I feel like sometimes when you read, especially MFA e fiction, not to shit on it, but like, there are a lot of books that are really character-y that I'm like, nothing's happening in this. And I, that's like the worst for me. That's what makes me put down a book. Versus- I think I'm Goldilocks because I feel the same way. Like the Sally Rooney books, sometimes they're like too character-driven like, and you're like, nothing's really happening here. I honestly don't think that I would have noticed how plot-heavy this book was and how many disparate plots there were in this book unless – I was in this situation that I was in where I was trying to outline it and come up with questions about it. Because when I read it the first time, it was purely for enjoyment. And well, yeah, there were some things that like happened and resolved a little too quickly. And like the relationship with Mitch was really quick. I didn't find myself, I, I didn't find myself confused when I was reading it. Like I wasn't like, wait, who's this? What's happening? Like I was very clear on what was happening. Yeah. I don't know. I think – I don't know. I'm trying to think. I don't know what I like. I, <laughs> <laughs> I think I like plot versus character because I'm thinking about like really slow books where it's yeah. all just character development. Yeah. But I don't know because I felt like this was too much plot. I mean there was and something I'm for everyone that- in this in terms of like the plots were also quite different. I, I feel like yeah. the contemporary plot at the magazine was very different from the plot about World War II where I could see those books appealing to like two completely different people. I'm also being critical, but I want everyone to know I really enjoyed this book. Oh, same. I was really charmed by this book. I mean, I love any type of book that's set in a magazine, as we all know. We both do. Yes. And I love a New York City book. I love food books. Like this really hit a lot of boxes for me. And even though I'm not a historical fiction person, I was really interested in in the Lulu Swan plotline, and especially because it had to do with a real life person being James Beard. So it was fictionalized in that James Beard did not have a correspondence with a 12 year old girl from Akron, Ohio. But maybe he did. Maybe he did. But at the end of the book, it does say that the details about his life were all true. Yeah. So, like, his, um, he was a cryptographer during World War II, which I didn't know. 
Um, like all of that stuff was true. Yeah. I don't know. Which po- which plot line was your favorite? Mine was also the magazine one, but I I understand why the other one existed. Yeah. I feel like I don't know. I feel like it would have been I I compared it I compared it to this when I pitched it to you, but I was like it's basically the Devil Wears Prada at a food magazine, and I feel yeah. like without the World War II plot line, it would have just been the Devil Wears Prada because it would have been her and it would have been an outsider story of her coming into this world and then learning to blend in and then finding love with somebody who was out of her le- she perceived to be out of her league like it would have been the devil wears prada at a food magazine if not for the historical okay fiction. i think you're totally right but i'm i think it would have been save me the plums because that was well i mean in save me the plums she was basically jake she was the editor in chief I would have read that book and loved it because I oh, love Save the Plum so much. Me too. And I was completely charmed by the contemporary plot line. In in the very beginning when she gets hired at Delicious, she has to go on – she doesn't know it at the time, but there's this thing called the Sal test where basically Sal, who's this like very affable 50-year-old guy who owns the cheese shop, basically like tries – to lure her away from the magazine by taking her to all these local vendors and like wasting her time and she gets totally sucked into this and yeah. to Jake it's actually a good thing to get sucked in on the sal test because it shows curiosity so she's like bebopping around to this like butcher who's who's teaching her about like like using uh, all of the animal butchering yes i i don't know what it, that's Tip called tail is that it I'm i don't know sure. whatever that is anyway Hopefully you get the gist of what I'm saying. Or to this chocolate shop where she learns about like tempering chocolate. Like all of that was so interesting to me and so charming. I love that part too. And I felt like this part of the book really reminded me of what it was like to be young and new to New York. And like – because I remember when I – my very first job, I was a marketing manager for – a beauty brand. And I was like always sent all over the city, whether it was like running to the perfumer to go get like lab samples or like, I I can't even remember all the little errands I had to do, but it reminded me of that and like getting distracted and worrying that I was late and that my bosses were going to be mad at me. Um, that just like made me nostalgic for like being like 24 and living in New York and kind of running all over. I thought the portrayal of just starting your first job out of college or or your first job generally was really accurate of like the fear that you're like everyone's going to find out that you don't know what you're doing. Although now being further from that, I would just assume somebody – my baseline assumption about somebody who was just coming for their first job would be be that they know nothing. Yeah. But like that nervousness that you hold where you're like, I'm going to be found out. Mm Mm-hmm. I thought that was really accurate. You know the other thing that was just like the quickest moment but was fascinating to me? The part about food styling. Oh, yeah. If there was a documentary about food styling, there maybe there is. I would I bet totally there is. watch that. Like I worked on some TV commercials for Daily Harvest um, a couple of years back and just seeing – how they do it on set to make food. Because first of all, Daily Harvest is frozen. So, you know, something that's frozen only lasts for, only stays frozen for 30 minutes, an hour, and then it starts mm-hmm. melting. So like yeah. seeing how they dealt with that, I think it was, um, I want to say what th- they used keyboard cleaner on it and they took like fruit and like sprayed it with that so it looked frosted. Oh my gosh, Even though it wow. wasn't. And then like 
you know, using all the toothpicks and how they like get it to look so precise. I, like it yeah. was only a day of my life, but I found it so fascinating. Yeah. And like the description in this book really like hooked me too. I just think those those things are really interesting. I agree. There's see, there's so much more that they could have done at the magazine. I know. So wait, so <laughs> you didn't like the World War II plot line? Or you just liked it, was, it less? It was fine. I just wasn't prepared for a historical fiction book. Like I'll pick up a historical pic- fiction book here and there, but like I didn't I wasn't that wasn't the book I signed up to read. I signed up to read Devil Wears Prada but for food. I thought it was interesting. I will tell you what though. If I were on a scavenger hunt, who I would have done real poorly. Some of the clues were never would have gotten them. Yeah, I would have given up. I would have just been like, "Okay, I'm I'm good. I don't need to read any more from Lulu." <laughs> But I thought – yeah, me too. But I thought that there were a <laughs> lot of awful? really interesting points in the correspondence, like especially about foraging and rationing. Like I thought that was really interesting and in what James Beard was teaching her about how to use unused like parts of vegetables. Milkweed yeah. or like about pumpkin leaves. Like I thought all mm-hmm. of that stuff was really interesting. Not that it's applicable to my life and that I'm going to go forage for milkweed or use pumpkin leaves. But I, I, I thought it was really interesting to like know. I assume that this is all factually correct, and that I learned a lot from it. Yeah, I the part I thought was probably the most interesting because I didn't know about it was the anti-Italian sentiment in the U.S. at that time. I felt really weird about that part. I, I felt weird about it because of our current racial climate in mm-hmm. the United States and how Italians. Are, are obviously white and I felt I don't know it felt slightly off to me just given kind of some of the conversations we're having today and being like okay if that's how Italians were treated then how were somebody who was Asian or black like how were they treated and especially given that like during World War II so many um Asian people were in internment camps in the United yeah. States like I felt I felt like it was really interesting and it obviously really ha- – it happened. Like that's true. But I, I felt I felt like maybe that part didn't didn't age that well. Not that the yeah. book's old. Well, I think that probably a better choice maybe would have been to have had some sort of anti-Japanese sentiment. It did make sense in the context of the book because the juxtaposition of that plot line with Sal who owns – is Italian and owns a shop in Little Italy and like – Yeah. The The – role of Italian Americans in today's culture juxtaposed with in World War II, like that was really interesting and it made sense for the plot. Mm-hmm. I I did think that the other part about Lulu's correspondence that was really interesting to me is um, hearing more about home life during World War II because I feel like I've read so many books that, you know, are about Nazi Germany. Like I'm thinking of like um, the Alice Network or yeah. – there was a Kristen Hanna book too. I um, is was it all the light we cannot see? Yes, but all of the, uh, so much of the historical fiction I've read about the World War II era has all been focused on the battlefront and yes. on Europe. But I've I've read considerably less having to do with what was it like in the United States there, and I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. But there was also an yeah. interesting feminist angle about um, Lulu's mom working at the airplane manufacturing plant. And then Sammy also talks about how his mom 
did something similar and how after the war she was never the same. Like she was kind of depressed because she was not cut out to be a homemaker. And like that had been her opportunity to actually go have a job and like learn a trade. And then after World War II, the men came back and she couldn't do – I can't remember what her job was, but she couldn't do that anymore. Yeah. I thought that part was interesting too. Me too. I also thought the James Beard part was interesting. I will tell you yeah. though that I was disappointed. At one point it was implied that maybe the letters contained some kind of like coded messages. I yes. was a little disappointed that that never came to fruition. I know. I was kind of hoping that there was going to be some sort of codes in there or something. Me too. But I thought the part about um, – Some of those letters were so boring. I was like, that makes sense. Yeah. But then I thought the part about James Beard and the lavender scare, which was a term I'd never heard about, meaning um, kind of accusations and fear around people being gay – during like the McCarthy era was something I also hadn't heard about. Like I feel like I heard so much about communist scares, but never about kind of the lavender scare or anything associated. So I thought that that was interesting too. Yeah, I know. I agree. I wasn't aware of that either. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. The The magazine plot line was really cute. And I especially liked the kind of like bonding between them. Yes. It kind of reminded me of, you know, the startups I've worked at where you kind of become a family. And even after yeah. um, even after the magazine shuttered, like they kept going to that restaurant and everyone would be there and they still kind of had that like that family vibe. Yeah. I feel like in New York, like your job um, or like it could be anywhere, but in New York, in all of the companies I've worked at, my coworkers really became like an extension of my family and that because we were we just spent so much time together every day and I worked for Filene's a department store so this wasn't New York this was Boston days but we were this family and then the um we were bought by Macy's and our and it closed and we all lost our jobs and I just remember like that feeling of like going into like a kind of emptyish looking office and like the way that it feels to like wind down a brand or a company um that really resonated with me. Yeah. How did it compare to Save Me the Plums? I know you said that in that Ruth Reichel was the boss. Did it feel like she had that like familial camaraderie with the people at, I guess, was it Gourmet Magazine that it's where yeah, she was so the editor-in-chief? She was the editor-in-chief of Gourmet Magazine. I I think there's definitely a lot of similarities. Like I was picturing Gourmet because I knew that's where she had worked. Um and I think that's why, like, the magazine part was so interesting to me because she captured it so vividly um, because she was writing what she knew. But was but, it, like, a happy place to work in, in her memoir? Yeah, yeah. And she also went through gourmet getting closed, too, um, when Condé Nast decided to shutter it. Oh, interesting. I only got to – I feel like she was at the New York Times. She hadn't even gotten to gourmet. Oh, wow. you got to read it. It's, I know. I, mean, all I the still relationships. have it. Similar to in this book, she builds so many amazing relationships with chefs and um, food sellers and all of that. So it's just like there's just so much in there. Yeah. It's a magical book. And there's also like lots of like really juicy political stuff that happened at Condé, which of course was really fun. Yeah. It, it felt like the um, publisher that Delicious was a part of was kind of just like meant to be this like really boring staid place where it was owned by old white men, but there wasn't anything juicy going on there. I know they could have made it juicy. Yeah, that could have been a way that they there yeah. could have been more drama with the, the publisher. Save me the plums for a memoir. It's quite juicy. Like they like 
She talks some shit. How did you feel about Billy's makeover? Um, I thought it was fine. I I kind of almost wish she didn't have to have a makeover in order to like get the guy. Me too. So I'm it saying felt this- kind of just like it's just a little bit of a cliche. Well, here's the thing. I'm saying this not as somebody who's like such a f- like s- ardent feminist that I'm like you should be accepted as you are, which you should be, but like I will I love a makeover montage. I watched The Princess Diaries oh, me too. recently and I was just like living for the makeover montage. Or the makeover in Devil Wears Prada? Absolutely. Like here love for it. it 100%. Don't know what that says about my my feminism, but like love a makeover just a montage. Tired. But I didn't like the makeover here. I guess partially also because it didn't seem necessary where like in the Devil Wears Prada, you get it. Like she works at a fashion magazine, so she like needs the makeover to fit in. In the Princess Diaries, it's like she's becoming a princess, so like she needs to look the part. And this, it's like There was a part where um where she was talking about Mitch and she's like, and it looks like I always look like this or something. You know, like I forget. She was like dressed cute and he was like, oh, you cut your hair. And she she said something to the effect like, oh, and I was glad because, you know, he doesn't see me outside of Sal's. So he he must think I always look like this. And that made me sad because, I don't know, I just wish she could have, like, been herself. I was also wondering if you were going to say something. I'll say it if you won't. If you were going to say something judgmental about her makeover because some of her clothes oh, that she got afterwards, which I obviously can't see but like like the orange leggings under a skirt sounded atrocious i was like what are these outfits sounded like atrocious i completely agree i raised a few eyebrows and was like what and also the fact that she was encouraged to use her trust fund on all these clothes yeah like i love good clothes obviously like my blog is about shopping but i was kind of like what yeah i get that it was part of her bigger storyline about moving on from her grief over her sister and like stepping out of her sister's shadow. But this was one of the few makeover moments that I was just like, ooh, I could have done without that. Yeah, I know. I I wish that they could have like just had it like her realizing like coming into her own without the makeover. Because I did think that conversely – the plot line about spending her trust fund on her on clothes. I did think the storyline with her sister about them having the the cake company when they were kids and then also about her sister having a drug problem but she not being able to see it I thought was really interesting yes Uh, I would have preferred that to be what they focused on with her comparing herself to her sister than the looks thing yeah me too like realizing that the reason her sister had been so high functioning was like she was staying up all night and doing cocaine right well let's take another quick ad break and then I want to come back and talk about the love story yes Absolutely. So today's episode is also sponsored by BetterHelp. And you've heard us talk about them before, but BetterHelp offers professional therapy online via chat, video, or phone. So you can talk to a licensed professional counselor from the comfort of your home anytime you want. What a year we've had. Honestly, between lockdown and the election and just so much change, it's been a lot. Never mind all of the things that you might have going on in your own life that are not you know, at the national level. So mental health has been very top of mind for us both right now. And maybe one of the things on your list for this year is to try therapy, but it can be incredibly overwhelming to figure out how to dive in. 
So like they don't make it easy. Where do you find a therapist? How do you know what they specialize in? What if you go through the trouble and then you don't actually click with your therapist? So I think BetterHelp is so cool because it's solving these problems and it's saving you so much wasted time cruising through your insurance directory blindly. So BetterHelp offers private, affordable online counseling when you need it without having to leave your house. So something that I just think is so great is how easy they make it. So you start by filling out a simple online questionnaire, and that assesses your needs. So they're going to ask you about your age, your relationship status, um, your past experiences with therapy, and what you're looking to address. And then from there, they're going to match you with your own licensed professional therapist. So they have counselors who are specialized in everything from depression, stress, and anxiety to relationships, trauma, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, and self-esteem issues. And it's quick. You can start talking to your therapist in under 24 hours. And if you're somebody who doesn't like to be on the phone or video, you can message them anytime you want and get timely, thoughtful responses Plus, you can also schedule weekly video or phone sessions. And best of all, it's more affordable than traditional online counseling, and there is financial aid available. And if you're in our Facebook group, you might have caught a thread that there was a few months back that I thought was really great where somebody was asking if anyone had actually tried BetterHelp. And I was so happy to see how many people were reporting that they had really positive experiences. And actually, even though it kind of sounds like a negative I thought it was a positive that a lot of people said that they had to switch counselors. They didn't like their first one. They switched to another one and they really and they liked them. And they all said how easy that was if to switch counselors if your first one isn't a good fit. I really like how committed they are to facilitating great matches because what are the odds that the very first therapist you're paired with is gonna be like your person? Yeah, Um, it's like dating. Yeah, exactly. So they just make it free and easy to change counselors if you decide that's something you need to do. But And also, as always, anything that you share with them is always confidential. We want you to start living a happier life today. And as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash bad on paper. So join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash bad on paper. Let's talk about love. Let's talk about love. How did you feel about the plot line between Billy and Mr. Complainer? I liked it. I had questions, though. Like, how did he live in that house? Um, He was older than her. He was – it sounded he was like he 30s. was in his 30s. Could you afford that house? No. Because I sure couldn't. No. He was in his 30s. It's not like he was like like some like late 50s like – Man who's, like, had a whole career. No, but on the flip side, I mean, he afforded the house because he had fixed up a brownstone in Brooklyn and then sold that. He'd, like, flipped a house. And, you know, in my 20s, my priority was not buying a house. So, you know, him as an architect, it makes sense with his character that, like, that was that was something that he valued and sacrificed for to, like, buy that first house. And then he, like, profited off of that to buy the apartment. I don't know. I didn't believe that. Oh, that wasn't my problem. My problem was like their whole relationship was really, really quick. Like their whole relationship seemingly took place over like 36 hours. And then they like had a huge fight and broke up. And I was like, oh. And then they were in love. It was just like so much. I was just like, I know they had history, but like it takes time. (laughs) It takes time. But I did like, first of all, I liked their their kind of slow burn relationship at Fontanari's. I was really into like that side of the relationship. And I also liked him as a – male lead like it it felt really different where it wasn't like he's this like 
amazing, perfect, charming businessman. Like it was like he was kind of like a little surly and, you know, he was like an academic and mm-hmm. um, it, like he was described as handsome, but it didn't seem like Kendall handsomeness. I, I I liked him as a as a male lead. Like it felt different. Like it didn't feel like, you know, if she'd gotten together with like an investment banker with like ice blue eyes and like perfect good looks wearing a suit, you would have been like, oh, that's weird. Yeah. No, I agree with you there. And I, I liked that he like had this love of great food and cooking and yeah, I liked that he was a customer and then they made him also be the architect for the, or the history, whatever he was an architectural historian yeah. for the, the mansion. That was like a fun little twist. Yeah. I felt, I felt like kind of charmed by him in his not quirkiness, but just it felt like a different kind of romantic lead than I've seen in a lot of other books. Yeah. I'll agree with that. How did you feel about the ending? I liked it. I, f- I just think there were, were so many like plot lines. It was just like hard to wrap it up. But they wrapped up the important things like Sal's story, Billy and Mitch. I would have liked to know more from um, Babe. What was her real her name in the um, – Oh, Mrs. Cloverly. Mrs. Cloverly. I would have liked to maybe know a little more about her. Like they kind of just dropped her. Yeah. Yeah. How did you feel? You know, for all of its problems, and I feel like this conversation about this book is coming off negative in a way that I I truly didn't feel about the book. I enjoyed the book so much. Um, The ending gave me everything I wanted, you know? Mm -hmm. Like I wanted Billy to be okay and to like – get over her grief and her rivalry with her sister and to, like, reconcile with her family. I wanted her to get back together with Mitch. You know, I loved that she ended up working at Fontanari's instead of in a more traditional, like, business career. Um, I loved that Sammy became friends with Lulu. Like, it gave me everything I wanted. So, like, for any of my complaints, it was absolutely 100% what in my heart I wanted like it was a warm huggy type book and like even if it was a little predictable or even if there were some things that like felt a little convenient I was like that's what I wanted yeah no I enjoyed it I I it gets two thumbs up from me I just there was times where I was frustrated and I felt like there was too much plot me too I did not feel I like the ending I did not feel particularly satisfied by the plot line with finding Lulu in Akron and I didn't no. feel like her secret was big enough where she was like, my big secret is that my father had a secret family even though he's dead now and I don't want to ruin for my children the hero that they've heard about. And it was like, well. That's why I think this book would be such a good TV show. You're right. You're right about that. They could that. expand on each one of these little plot lines while coming back to them. You're right about that. Yeah. That was that was truly the plot line that I found to be kind of like most disappointing. Like I almost wish that they like went and she had died peacefully, like not violently, and that, you know, they like went to the library and they found James Beard's letters rather than like her being like, Get out of my house. I have a mm-hmm. secret. And then it was like, oh, it's kind of an anticlimactic secret. Yeah, your secret's kind of dumb. Yeah. <laughs> but um on the Billy side, you know, I felt I felt good about all of the like happiness, like everything's working out. I like that Maggie and Jake started a, a new restaurant. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah I, I did it. too. I liked it. I liked it. I really enjoyed it. And we're being critical of it because we're talking about it. But just to read for pure pleasure and enjoyment's sake, like, great book. Now, here's my number one question. Yeah. So in this book, the food descriptions were incredible. Like, I was hungry throughout reading this book. Oh, same. And anytime she started talking about food, it was like paragraphs of like beautiful food description. But yes. what food or dish described did you most want to try? It's really hard to say because the Thursday's gnocchi sounded amazing. But um, I don't know if you know this about me. My favorite dessert in the world is a chocolate souffle. Oh, I didn't know that about you actually. But my favorite food in the world is cheese. So Sammy's gorgonzola souffle. Oh. I want someone to make me a cheese souffle. That's all I want. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, what about you? So this isn't a a dish necessarily, but when Sal was explaining about the difference between spring Parmesan and fall Parmesan, I Mm – and he was like saying it in a way that it sounded so nuanced and I was like, I want to taste test fall versus spring Parmesan. I want Sal to be our friend and, and teach us. I know. So I was really intrigued by that. In a weird way, I was also really intrigued by the description of milkweed. Not that mm-hmm. I want to actually try that, but just that they said it tasted like cheese. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. It made me curious. It made me curious for sure. How did you feel about the cake that Billy makes? I feel it like doesn't that- sound like something I want to eat. Me to be either. Honest. I felt like I was like they were it's cake and it doesn't have chocolate. I'm not interested. Yeah, I felt like they kept like that cake kept coming back and it was like supposed to be like the hero dish and I was like I want to try the cheese. Yeah, like the gingerbread like gingerbread isn't a flavor I care about. Like yeah, I don't know. I like like an angel food cake or like a lemon something or chocolate. I'm actually but- really curious if any of our listeners because the recipe for the cake that they talk about was in the book like at the end of the book. And I'm really curious if anyone made it and if it was good. Yeah, I would be curious to know that too. Had no no interest in making it myself. I'm not a baker. I don't I – don't, I, I mean, I baked muffins this year and it was probably the first time I've baked anything in five years. So like it's not – I'm not going to be the one to do it. But I, I would just be very curious. Yeah. You know, and then for all of our criticism, the one thing that I think that this book got so right throughout – was the portrayal of New York. Oh, my God. I could completely visualize Sal's. Like, I could smell it. I could see the jars stacked up and the cheese counter. I felt like I was there. What I really liked about it is that it kind of, instead of New York being this, like, bustling metropolis that you see in a lot of books, and and certainly Midtown and, and, you know, non-COVID New York can feel like sometimes, I loved that this book kind of went, like, New York as a small town, where it was, like, Everyone knows each other and, and um, you know, kind of you, you're running into people, which is true. Like New York is a small town. You run into people. Area, landmass wise, it is small. Mm-hmm. Um, it is small. And you see the same people everywhere. And you have your neighborhood spots, especially if you live somewhere like Brooklyn or in the West Village um, I, or Little Italy. I loved the detail about Mr. Complainer where – they didn't know his name where he was like this regular. They didn't know his name. They talked about him. They like had all these ideas about him and they didn't actually know his name because there are yes. so many people that I see all the time that I I know visually and I feel like I know them, but I have no idea who they are. Yes, I know. Me too. 
Yeah, I really thought the New York portrayal was so, so spot on. And also the restaurant scene. Like I could yes. completely picture what the pig was supposed to be. And like – Did you picture the spotted pig? Yeah. I mean based yeah, on me the name. Too. And yeah. then um, at one point her and Diana – I didn't even talk about her and Diana's friendship. But um, they go to this there restaurant. There was so much. There's so much. This restaurant called Nowhere, which is like in Alphabet City. And I was like, oh my god, I know – I can like picture this restaurant. Same, same. And then, like, the local Chinese place that, like, Billy is living on takeout from. Like, I was just like, oh, like, this is so accurate. Yes. It it felt like one of the most – the truest portrayals of a non-idealized New York, like an actual New York. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So that's what we've got for you on the book front. Do you want to yeah. transition out and talk about some end matter? Yeah. Do you have an Instagram obsession this week? I do. And it ties in. So I, I basically I went onto my Instagram and I was like, who's the most recent person I followed? And it ties into this book very tightly. So last weekend, Raina from Girls Gotta Eat had posted on her Instagram that she was getting – she got this sandwich from a like a deli in Little Italy. And it looked mm-hmm. so good that I followed it because I was like, oh, I got to remember that place so I could like go. Yeah. At some point. And it's called Faccios NYC, F-A-C-C-I-O-S-N-Y-C. And the sandwiches look incredible. I'm actually starving right now and I'm like getting hungry just thinking I'm about so all hungry. of this. But um, I thought it was so funny that I was doing the outline for this and I was like, okay, what's my most recent Instagram followers? And I was like, oh, it's this, it's this deli in Little Italy. Makes sense. What's yours? So I have two. Um, one is I follow like a lot of travel hashtags like Pretty Little Trips or Goop Go. And this account popped up and it's called Zori Mori, Z-O-R-Y-M-O-R-Y. And she just has beautiful travel content. Right now she's posting like photos in front of like gorgeous lavender wisteria. And I'm just enjoying her. Just pretty. They're, I'm not getting any value out of this account other than the fact that it's really pretty. And I miss traveling. So I, I really am like leaning into – travel accounts right now. I'll have to check her out because I I need some wanderlust in my life. Yeah. The other one is just a cool brand. It's called Curio Practice and it's C-U-R-I-O underscore practice. And they are an Australian company and they just make the coolest graphic blankets. Like, you know my obsession with Doosan Doosan's bath towels? Mm -hmm. Um, They're kind of like an Australian-based blanket brand. And I there's this cobalt blue... Well, the blanket I like comes in cobalt blue, emerald green, or orange, and it's really graphic and, and fun, and I was thinking it would be really fun in the guest bedroom based on the art that I'm going to be hanging in there. Oh, I'm so, so glad I'm going to have one in my bedroom. Yeah, you might have one in your bedroom. What about a regular obsession? This one very much surprised me. I got mine today. Have you tried it on yet? Yeah. Oh, you don't like it? I, I like it. I just don't understand what you guys are so happy about. I don't about. think you're in the market for this. Okay. So a couple of weeks ago, Alex, who is our third sorority sister in our sorority house apartment building, texted us and was like, you need to try this bra. And it was the negative underwear bra. It's called the Civ bra, S-I-E-V-E. And I don't know if this is true for everyone or if this is just me. I have gotten over the past like few months so many ads for this bra i've seen it so many times and i alex, haven't oh really oh my god i get it all the time and alex was like it's incredible so i ordered it i don't know even why like i didn't have any expectations for it so like i okay so i have quite big boobs and 
my options are either wearing an underwire bra or wearing something that is like kind of unattractive, like sports bra. Like, like I really do like the True & Co. lounge bras, but they're not cute. Like, no, they're not. Grace loves the – I call it RX. I don't know if that's right. The like RX bralettes, like any bralette I've ever tried has like never worked. Like either my boob is coming out the side or like <laughs> it's just like it looks really unattractive and unappealing because it's like not made for me. Like I just okay. – I've never worn a bralette that is attractive that actually is like f- works for my body. Yeah. And so I got this one and it's like – Okay, so it has a hook and eye closure in the back, but it doesn't have any underwire. It's completely see-through. It's just like mesh. I like the fabric. I like the mesh. It's pretty. It is so – first of all, it's really, really comfortable. But second of all, it's like way more supportive than I thought. And like it's it's attractive. I'm like – I'm wearing it right now. And it – oh, you can't see my boobs in this. But you – like you can't tell that I'm wearing a bralette versus a regular bra. Okay. Like I could totally wear this under a dress or something and like I would be – fine. Yeah. I don't know. I'm so into this. I'm definitely going back. I want the nude one with the black. Um, Which color did you get to start? I got the slate blue one. Okay. I got that one too and I got the black one. And I think it's great. But I wasn't like – I just – you guys were like so excited about it. And I was like, it's good. It's a good bra. Well, Alex sounds like she's more in my camp that she has been unable to wear bralettes in the past. And if you never had been able to wear like a cute, sexy bralette before, like – yeah. This is like kind of life changing. Okay. Versus, that makes I sense. feel like you have tons of bralettes that you like. That's mostly what I wear. Yeah. Like, I don't like a thick bra. Yeah. So, this just feels really revolutionary to me because okay. it's like the first and only outside of, and not that there's anything wrong with it, but like the True and Co type style bras that are just like, it's f- practical, not sexy. It looks like shapewear. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I think I understand more now because I got it and I was like, I like ripped open the bag, like literally like took my shirt off, tried it on and I was like, oh, like it's pretty. But I was just like, I don't know. I, I was like expecting like my whole life to change. No, it's um, it's pretty life changing for me. And they have a, a pretty extended size range, I, I believe. Yeah, they do. Like I'm not, that. I'm not the biggest size in it, which yeah. is a, a lot of – um lingerie companies like I I can't even fit into their sizing like Eric's or however we're saying it like I can't they don't even have a size that fits my boobs okay so that makes sense then what's your obsession mine is a new friends company it's called red clay hot sauce which first of all I will caveat I don't like anything too spicy but what I like about this hot sauce is well first of all it's developed by one of the local chefs here and then my friend Molly is like involved in more of like a business role but they're focused with the hot sauce they're focused more on flavor than fire as they say so it's not like unbearably spicy it's just delicious so their classic hot sauce I really like it it's like more like a mild one which I like and then there's a green one which I also love but they also have two little accessory things, which Molly gave me some hot sauce, and then I went online and I bought both of these. They have a spicy margarita salt, Ooh. and they also have an everything seasoning, kind of like the Trader Joe's everything but the bagel seasoning, but it's like a little spicier. So I can't wait to make those bagel balls I love so much and put the um, those uh, the, those salts on them. I forgot about the bagel balls. Those are so good. They're so good. Yeah. What about reading? 
So I think I might be getting out of my reading rut. Like, let's hope. Um, I finished reading Anne of Manhattan by Brina Starler. And I'll just tell you, like, if you loved Anne of Green Gables as a kid or Avonlea, like, this was our show growing up. My sisters and my mom and I watched every episode. We were, like, obsessed with Anne Charlie and Gilbert Bly. If you liked the shows, you'll find this to be, like, cute and campy and funny. I will say there's, like, some really steamy sex scenes and, like, the book, the show that we watched growing up was so prim and proper. So I was like, oh, my God. Like, what is happening? But um, it's it's just very fun. If you did not watch the show and you don't care about these people, don't read the book because it's it's kind of cheesy. But it, it was fun. I enjoyed it. Okay. Having never watched that show, I, I think I'll skip this one. Yeah. You can skip it. And then I read um, what you're reading too, The Last Thing He Told Me by Laura Dave. And um, Laura Dave wrote 800 Grapes a few years ago. I remember I was reading it at our friend Jackie's bachelorette party. So that was a long time ago. 800 Grapes was a book that I enjoyed so much. And this happens to me pretty infrequently that I then went and bought and read every other book by Laura Dave. Oh, wow. Because that was not her first book. Like she'd probably written four or five books beforehand. And then subsequently she wrote Hello Sunshine. But I went back and I read all of her books. Um, I like Hello Sunshine too. Yeah. I love her books. I love her writing. This was like a mystery. And um, you were the one who told me to go read it. Um, and I didn't think I had it. And then I was sorting through my books in my guest room. I'm like, oh, I do have it. Should so, we tell people? Yeah. So this is going to be our May what? book club pick. Grace was this struggling. Is be our- I could see on her face that she couldn't figure out what month it was. I know. It's been a long week. Um, this is going to be our May book club pick. It's a thriller. Like it's it's like I'd say it's more of a mystery than a thriller. Like nobody is getting murdered or anything, but there That's is the a best kind of thriller for me. Like there's no murder, but it's still suspenseful. Yeah. So it's it's more of like a suspense type mystery. Um it's not there's no I don't think there's any trigger warnings for this book. Um it is – it's great. Um, what happens is this woman is a New Yorker. She's a woodworker and uh, – or wood turner is the proper term. And she gets married to who she thinks is like the love of her life. Um, he has a teenage daughter. They're living in a floating house in Sausalito, which I need to Google floating houses because I'm like, what is a – I've never even seen a floating house. Oh, the houseboats in Sausalito? No. I, I mean, I knew I, I know the houseboats, but I was picturing them be like the house to be different. I don't know. This is an irrelevant tangent, but he disappears one day and um, suddenly before she knows it, like U.S. Marshals and the FBI are like coming to her house, like trying to figure out what he's done, why he's disappeared. Um, He leaves his daughter with a bag of money and we don't know where he is or what's happened. And she and the daughter team up to – you you neglected to say that um, at the same time, a news story breaks that his company is being investigated for insider yes. trading. Yes. Sorry. That was a, a big important part of that. Yeah. So it's like a financial crimes type situation. Yeah. So basically, they're trying to figure out like where the hell he went, what his secret is, if he was involved in this insider trading type of thing. There's a lot going on. So it's a great book. I read it in one day. I haven't read a book in one day in so long. This pulled you out of your rut. I hope. We'll see. We'll see what happens next. You also read it on one day when you were supposed to be doing other things and you shirked your responsibilities, which is how I know that a book is good. Well, yeah. So what happened to me was I have so much work this week 
and I was feeling tired from like all the moving stuff and totally the work. So I said to myself, I didn't have plans at that night because I don't have as many friends here. <laughs> um, I said to myself, you don't have plans so you can work tonight. Go up to the – my roof has a pool and I like sat and read by the pool for two hours, which turned into three hours. <laughs> and I shirked all my work and did it last night instead. But Becca was like sending me work-related texts. And if I get a work-related text, I save it until I'm working because I didn't want to miss it or forget it. So I put it on unread and like went back to my book. Then I get downstairs and I just get this message being like, do you not love me anymore? <laughs> I mean, three unanswered texts is a lot. Especially for me because Over I'm the course of a day. Like it wasn't even like it had been an hour ago. Like I had been texting you all day. Yeah, but it was all like work-related yeah. things. And I wasn't ready to answer you. So that's this book apparently really sucks you in. I'm only like 40 pages into it, but it's really good so far. And yeah, it's great. Um, it comes out on May 4th. So a little bit of a wait when the month Just starts. Just a tiny wait. Just yeah. a tiny wait. Um, so pre-order it now. Pre-orders are great for books, and we love this author. So excited. And it's also her first thriller. Yeah. Everything else she's written has been like more romance It's a It's a mystery. It's not really a thriller. It's a mystery. I think a thriller – I, I we can talk about it in this book episode. I think a thriller doesn't have to have murder. Wait, what did you read this month? This month, um, this week. This so week. I I haven't read a lot. I was because I was traveling last week. Um, I didn't read anything over those days, but I started Malibu Rising by Taylor Jenkins Reid, and um, this has been sitting in my pile for like six months because I've been trying to keep myself from reading it until Same. closer to when it comes out, not because I don't want to read it. And so it comes out at the end of May. So I was like, okay, I can, I can finally pick it up. And um, I didn't know anything about it because it's not out yet. And so I kind of had like no expectations. And so it's set in the 80s, which is kind of cool. And it's about this family, the Riva family. And um, there's four – yeah, there's four siblings – um, who are all adults, like the youngest one is like 21, and then they go up to like mid-late 20s. Um, and they are the children of this like very famous rock star. And it's all told over the course of a day where um, they're going to throw this like famous party that they have, like a pool party that they have every single year. And it's set in Malibu. And um, it's really good so far. So I read that. Or I started to read that. To be clear, I'm only like 50 pages in. And then um, I, I'm also – I'm cheating on that book and I'm also 50 pages or so into The Last Thing He Told Me by Laura Dave. So I will be reading along with you guys this month for book club. I haven't finished this one yet, but I'm very excited about it based on Grace's – You're going to finish it really quickly. Yeah, based on Grace's enthusiasm about it. Yeah. So May Book Club, The Last Thing He Told Me by Laura Dave – We'll talk about it the last Wednesday in May. And in the meantime, we would love to talk to you more about this book in the Facebook group. Come and talk to us about your thoughts on Delicious. Um, just search Bad on Paper on Facebook. Uh, or come hang out with us on Instagram. We're at Bad on Paper Podcast. Yeah, go do that. Okay, see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.